don't know about you, but this weather has done a number on my throat. Um, a lot of congestion and stuff, so I apologize if I have to stop a couple times to take a sip of water. And uh, I also decided after the first service, if I talked as much as I did that service, um, I wouldn't be able to speak by 11, so I'm going to cut this one down a little bit. So you'll be happy about that. I know. <laughs> Not that much, just so don't get your hopes up. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do ask that your spirit be among us now. Open our hearts and minds up to your word proclaimed so that we may be filled with your joy and with your power and your strength as we enter into this holy week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, the time had arrived. The waiting was over. The history of pain and dehumanizing oppression and the spirit crushing accommodations that have been made to Rome were all about to come to a close. All the anthems and songs of the good old days came flooding back into their minds as Jesus made his way down from the Mount of Olives just as the prophet Zechariah had foretold long ago. Finally, their dreams were coming true and they could not help themselves from singing and cheering and laughing and chanting and dancing like nobody was watching. But in the middle of all the joy-filled pageantry, their leader wasn't singing. Their leader wasn't laughing, or even smiling for that matter. He was in tears. Yes, their dreams were indeed coming true, but not in the way that they had imagined. This picture did not match up to their dreams. He was not the king that they expected or even wanted for that matter. He was not like their monarchs of old on a throne, wearing a beautiful robe, dispensing justice and wisdom. Neither was he a great warrior king uh, that they wanted to come and crush all of Israel's enemies. He didn't raise an army or start a violent revolution. This king... Their king, our king, the king, was riding on a donkey, and he was weeping. Take this picture up here on the screen in for a moment. It's not just a little tear trickling down Jesus' eye, but it's weeping. Jesus was weeping for the dream that had to die, weeping for the sword that would pierce his supporters to their very core, weeping for the kingdom that wasn't coming, as well as for the kingdom that was about to come through him. In the book, The Last Week, the authors remind us that there were two events, two dramatic processions that would have been entering into Jerusalem roughly at the same time in anticipation for the, of the Feast of Freedom known as Passover. One saw Pontius Pilate leading his military procession from his base with the pomp and pageantry and military might of Rome on full display. Pilate came every year about this time to supervise the security of Jerusalem and to reinforce the garrison with more troops in Jerusalem. 
Rome knew a clear statement had to be made to the large crowds assembling for the Passover celebration. Yes, this is a celebration of your freedom from the past, but it shall not be a celebration of freedom today. This is Caesar's world. Caesar is in charge here. Behave yourself or we will crush you. From the opposite direction, coming down from the Mount of Olives, Jesus and his followers approached the city. Pilate on a war horse, Jesus on a donkey, and not just any old donkey, but a colt. His feet probably were comically dragging on the ground as he rode this silly little colt. One procession, Pilate's looked Regal, it looked uh, fitting for a king. Jesus' entry, however, was somewhat different. The prophet Zechariah had said that a king would be coming to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, and that's why people got worked up, because when they heard Jesus was coming, this was fulfilling this prophecy, that he would come humble and riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Pilate's procession embodied the power and strength and violence of the emperor, empire of Caesar, which demanded complete and ultimate allegiance. Jesus' entry was about a different type of kingdom that also demanded ultimate allegiance, but this kingdom was the kingdom of God. And this kingdom, Zechariah had made clear, would be a kingdom of peace, with a king who will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. But then like now, there was trouble uh, when kingdoms collide. The crowds Shouts of Hosanna and blesses the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Announced the coming of a new king, Jesus. Who they did not fully understand. But the Romans knew if Jesus was king, then Caesar was not. And that surely meant trouble. On that first Palm Sunday, Jesus was riding into a perfect storm. Some of you may remember, uh, probably remember a movie called The Perfect Storm, if you don't remember the actual event, but it happened back in 1991. And this very strange storm system came into being where uh, there was a hurricane that was kind of breaking up out in, in the ocean along the eastern seaboard, and then another uh, front started coming down uh, the coastline, a uh, cyclone, uh, from Nova Scotia, and then together they combined and started picking up speed. And uh, this storm claimed 12 lives, including the deaths of six, the six-man crew aboard the Andrea Gale, a Massachusetts-based sword-fishing vessel that sank more than 500 miles out to sea. The storm formed from a hurricane, Grace, and then this cyclone moving and then it absorbed uh, the uh, power of Hurricane Grace, and it began to increase again in intensity. Now, these two circumstances alone were bad enough. Um, 
But then like throwing gas on a fire, another new hurricane popped up from the Atlantic and brought new energy into the mix. These three forces of nature converged on the helpless, helpless Andrea Gale from the west, the north, and the southeast, uh, creating huge 100-foot waves at sea, and these ferocious winds and huge waves uh, broke up the boat and ripped it into shreds. Similarly, the first two elements of Jesus' perfect storm are fairly easy to describe on their own. You know, there are separate storm systems brewing. But critically important, uh, we also need to understand the third system at work here. We need to understand all of these if we are to both understand the first Palm Sunday and the impact that we should have, uh, this day should have on us as we grow nearer to the cross this holy week. First, we have this superpower of Rome in from the West. Rome had grown steadily uh, stronger and more powerful from its roots as a republic. Then it kind of went astray uh, from that vision uh, when Julius Caesar took charge. His ambition and then assassination threw Rome into a bloody civil war, which Caesar's adopted son Octavian emerged as the winner. Octavian then took on the Uh, title Augustus, and he declared that his adopted father Julius had been made divine. And because his father had been made divine, even though it was his adopted father, that didn't seem to matter. He then became the son of God. Anglican Bishop Terry Dance reminds us that even the term gospel uh, in this context was generally applied to the imperial power of Caesar. The good news was associated with his might and his military victories and the economic and political stability that would often follow when they would conquer a new land. Then after Octavian's death, he too uh, was made divine by the people who followed. His successor Tiberius took on those same titles as son of God and high priest. And this coin is from his reign at Maxima Pontiff, that's high priest. The other side claims that Tiberius is the son of God. These are also the coin that Jesus would be shown and said, well, who tribute? what tribute should we pay to Caesar? Jesus was in the eye of the storm, and Rome was the gale, the first element in this perfect storm that Jesus found himself at the center of. The second element in Jesus' perfect storm was the overheated high-pressure system in the story of Israel as many people perceived it during Jesus' time. Throughout Scripture, the Jewish people had always believed that their story uh, was headed somewhere, that it was moving toward a God-appointed goal. And despite many hardships and disappointments along the way, they held fast to the deep hope that their God would not abandon them and that they would meet that goal someday. They had experienced it before in the Exodus when Moses had led them out of slavery in Egypt and across the Red Sea into the Promised Land. And because of the memory of this event, which they now celebrated as a national holiday at the Passover, they lived on with this hope that this would happen yet again, even that day. The new tyrants of Rome could do their worst 
but God would deliver them. Jesus chose Passover, this festival of the Exodus, to make his crucial move. The western wind of Rome meets the high-pressure system of Israel, and now comes the hurricane. The Jewish story, like the story of all of us, has one highly unpredictable element, namely God himself. Israel may have been God's chosen people, but the Almighty God remained free and sovereign. Time and time again, Israel had attempted to tell its own story, which was quite different from the one that God wanted to tell. As Jesus looked over Jerusalem and cried, Jesus believed that was happening yet again. God had promised to come back and return his people in power and glory to establish his kingdom on earth as in heaven. The Jewish people always hoped that this would simply fulfill their national aspirations since after all he was their God. They wanted to possess him. They wanted him to do what they wanted him to do. But the prophets all the way up and even including John the Baptist, had always warned that God's coming in power and in person would be entirely on God's own terms, with God's own purpose, and that God's own people would be as much under judgment as anyone if their aspirations did not line up with God's. God wanted them to be a light to all the nations. Jesus believed that as he came to Jerusalem, he was embodying the return of Israel's God to his people in power and glory, just as Zechariah had foretold. But it was a difficult, or it was a difficult, excuse me, different, that's what I'm going for. Sorry about that. It was a different kind of glory than Israel had dreamed of. In Jesus' tear-filled eyes, he knew they did not understand what power was. They did not understand what glory was. They didn't understand at all. He then speaks the warning of what was going to happen to Jerusalem. Because he says, you did not recognize the time of your visitation by God. This is the moment that you were looking for and you were looking in the wrong direction. You were looking another way. Your dreams of national liberation leading into head-on confrontation with Rome, these were not God's dreams. God had called Israel so that through Israel, God might redeem the world But Israel itself needed redeeming too. So God comes to Israel riding on a donkey. As N.T. Wright shares, in fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy of the coming peaceful kingdom, announcing judgment on the system and the city that have turned their vocation in upon themselves and going off to take the weight of the world's evil and hostility onto himself so that by dying under it, he might exhaust its power 
that there was a purpose for him coming into these systems and then dying on the cross to take away their power both then and now and forevermore. Throughout Jesus' public ministry, Jesus had been embodying and res- the rescuing and redeeming love of Israel's God, and now Israel's own capital city and leaders just couldn't see it. The divine hurricane sweeps in from the ocean, and to accomplish its purpose, it must meet head-on the cruel wind of pagan empire and the high-pressure system of nationalistic aspiration. Jesus seizes this moment to redeem all that would separate us from God, not just for Israel, but for all humanity because of his great love. As the events of the Holy Week unfold and we make our own journeys to the foot of the cross, it should be impossible for us to simply look on and just think this is just a perfect storm, just something that happened once. It's the only thing. We too today are subject to systems, to storms, to even perfect storms. We are subject to systems of exploitation, to oppression and dehumanization, things that divide and separate us one from another. And that's one element of our perfect storm here today. Secondly, we all also have our own aspirations, our own dreams, our own expectations. We want to make a good living. We want to retire early, live in a safe place, and have a perfect family. But how do we prevent our own aspirations from becoming merely self-centered and then even adulterous, idolatrous, or adulterous, depending on what it is, I guess, As we move through this Holy Week and we approach Good Friday, we should be on the lookout and praying for the third element, asking, where is God in all of this for us? If we try to follow Jesus in faith and hope and peace and joy on his journey to the cross, we will find ourselves in the midst of the hurricane of love that we dare to call God, and that will sweep over us, fulfilling our dreams by first shattering them, but then bringing something new out on the other side. We should not be surprised if in this process there are moments when we feel like we are a ship being battered by 100-foot waves, or if we find ourselves weeping over our dreams as they are shattered by the kingdom that isn't coming the way we wanted it to come. That feeling... That uncomfortableness, that expectation is what it feels like to be caught up in Jesus' perfect storm. So do not doubt when we are caught up in Jesus' perfect storm. You're on the edge of something even more life-giving and wonderful than you could even dream or imagine or aspire to. You're becoming welcome into a whole new world that Jesus is establishing through his life, death, and resurrection where everything in heaven and on earth is being made new. As you journey through this holy week, 
be expectant and pray humbly for the powerful fresh wind of God to blow through your life and through our world so that we might share in the sufferings of the Messiah and come through into the new life that he longs to give to each of you here today. Let's pray. Gracious God, we ask that during this holy week, a fresh wind indeed blow through our lives, through our congregation, through our community, and through our world. Lord, we know you are the Lord of life and light, and we ask, Lord, for us during this week to encounter those things that separate us from your kingdom vision so that we may come to the end of this week in the joyous celebration of Easter renewed and enlivened by your spirit so that we can truly be your disciples and share the good news that truly is good news with the world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.